today I just want to kind of give an introduction of why this thing is so important to do. We were talking about using a time, which is, and I would follow up with just a brief teaching of individual doctrinal, biblical, theological terms. I thought about this a lot yesterday. I was telling Charlene about a message that I listened to that was a ridiculously terrible message that talked so anti-knowledge, understanding, intellect, logic, rational, everything you could think gathered up that is against thinking was stated in this message. Guy said, uh, you know, when you read the scripture, you need to take off your thinking cap. And he talked about, he did the famous thing, the separation of the head and the heart, like we had warned about several times before. Can't read it with your head or your mind. You have to read it with your heart. So, you know, obviously this is this thing that we've gone into detail about that would bring out more of your senses, your feelings, your emotions. And we know that the cart is before the horse there. We know that when we take in knowledge and learn and understand, it affects our emotions. You know, we have joy and we have feelings and emotions and things like this. So it from Scripture, the whole heart is the mind, the will, and the affections. But the will and the affections are not going to be affected unless first the mind's affected. And the mind is affected by spiritual life and faith. And then those other things trail behind and they follow along. But today I just want to talk about the important. It's kind of in the vein of that thought of this, sometimes this attack from people. And remember, when we talked about faith, we said faith is not mysterious. It's not a blind leap in the dark. It's, it's a leap toward something foundational that we see and know and understand and believe. So this whole attack of, it really results in dumbing people down and it causes confusion and chaos and breeds ignorance. Scripture never pushes us in that direction. It warns us about that to not go in that direction. So I want to talk about these terms and maybe retrieve in, in my mind, and, and you guys can too in your memories, of maybe some religious people, even sovereign grace people, that have said, well, that's going in the direction of intellectualism, or that's you're just trying to be logical, and we're going to define philosophy and all that and explain the good and the bad of it. But whatever you use, if you talk about rationality, logic, philosophy, all those things, you got to clarify, well, is it man's or is it God's? And the scripture promotes all these things Godward. And the scripture warns that if you don't use these things, you're going to slip. You're going to retrogress. You're going to fall into traps. So the scripture encourages, you know, renewing our mind. We've been over this before several times. Using our, our spiritual minds and knowing the difference between meritoriously using a human mind to gain things and to brag about and to be haughty about versus using the mind that God has given us in Christ by the power of the Spirit through the means of the Word of God. But today I just want to just briefly look at this idea of order and systems. Now, a lot of traditional church people don't really have a problem with too much with order, but when they hear the word system, they freak out. Because that sounds too humanistic. I've used an example before in the past of cutting grass. I think everybody here has cut grass before. And I think everybody 
probably before they cut grass have probably been taught by somebody how to cut grass. And even if they haven't, they cut grass in such a way that they have an idea of how to do it before they actually cut. I'm talking about how they go about where they cut and how they cut. What I'm getting at, cutting to the chase, there's a system. There could be a system of chaos. There could be a system of efficiency. Some people go back and forth. Some people go round and round and round until they get in the middle. But I don't know anybody, unless they're drunk, that just goes like all over the place. You know, put a blindfold on and just like inefficient. And then you look back and you see there's about six square inches of tall grass. There's a, there's a foot of tall grass in a nest. Over here is two inches. And then you got to go back over. You see the inefficiency and you see that even if you go back over something, you park the mower and you say, dang on, there's two more spots. I didn't even see those. But a systematic uh, covering takes care of it all. I just want to say this is common sense, which is we know that that's not common anymore. But when we think biblically, we need to think that way with a system in place. And let's give a few examples, and you guys can give me some that you can think of. For example, our Bibles have a chapter and verse numbering system. Nobody complains too much about that, do they? But you know what? That's a system. I can memorize where those are, and that's the benefit of it. It's not inspired by God. So I'm happy for that system that man has put in place there. Because without that, I don't know how you can remember where stuff is. If you are a reader and you pick up a book and it just says chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and it doesn't have a title of the chapter, and you're picking up that book for reference, for studying one or two certain things in that book, and you think, well, how do I even find it? Because the, the chapter divisions, they don't even give me any kind of a, a guide to even a hint of where to start. But I like an author that will give a title to a chapter, a subtitle, and even some breakdowns of details. And when you go through that book, you'll see a stop, and then there's bold print, several different sections in there. And when you're looking, that kind of reminds me of the scripture, how that it is divisions of chapters and verses. So these are aids to our minds because, you know, we're fallen creatures. And any, I'll take any kind of help when it has to do with learning, knowing, and memorizing. Another type of a system would be a confession of faith or articles of faith, or some people call it a creed. I think those, all those three things are pretty much the same thing. Now, how many people have you heard that says, no, you don't do that because the Bible alone is our creed? Now, can somebody go ahead and follow that thought through and, and show how that that's kind of weak and that preacher or a theologian that would say that would be inconsistent in saying that? Like they would be against confessions of faith or articles of faith. Why would that be inconsistent? I'm not talking about the fact that, yeah, I think they're good because they help us memorize things. Or we got to have some kind of filter for people coming in church. Do you agree with this? I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about how are these people inconsistent when they're saying this? What is detrimental about that? Of debunking creeds, articles of faith, or confessions of faith. What do they do that makes that inconsistent about what they say about it? You might think. Well, if they say the Bible alone is our creed, if you look at Confession of Faith, Articles of Faith, what it is, it's, it's a biblical commentary on what the Bible says. It, it collects up and organizes these things for a quick reference. And people say, what do you believe? You could just hand them this. You don't hand them the Bible. You could say, we believe the Bible, but it's condensed in this Confession of Faith because everybody has a commentary. That's why churches are different. But when that preacher gets up every week, and most of them are paid to do this, they will take the scripture and they will interpret it and they will talk about, they will give their commentary about what that scripture means. Now any preacher or theologian that says that they're anti-creed, anti-confession, anti-articles of faith, they should just be a professional reader. Get up, read the scripture, and sit down and shut up. Do you see the inconsistency there? Okay. But there are several different systems in the church that we use, and you can look throughout church history, and, and probably you could extract scriptures that, that back this up, no doubt about it, that talk about just in the church, things should be decent and in order. Well, don't you think you should follow that up? Not just, not just when we physically meet about how that we operate as far as authority and not let people come in and bring false doctrine or let people speak in tongues not just that but in everything that we do with our thinking there is an order it's done to our benefit and to our uh, efficiency I don't like wasting my time in anything so this same principle I know everybody can use it in their just everyday life I just gave an example grass cutting when I'm at work, or it doesn't matter where, I hear of like a tip that will save me time, or if I figure out I've been doing something wrong, oh, I love to take that and, and use it. Then take that and show other people in a helpful way. So this is the idea about, about systems. And I say that because of being able to retain doctrine and theology using a system. There's what's called systematic theology. And those terms that we're going to be using every week and talking about are the terms that come from systematic theology that we can organize and go through. And you can almost in your mind, in theology, there's nothing wrong. Don't let anybody tell you. And, and please argue against them. There's nothing wrong with having a system in your head because I guarantee you they have systems in their head even about the Bible. They, they do. Just don't let these people take this away from you because they don't know what they're talking about. Besides that, usually these people that say this will say other detrimental things about knowledge, understanding. And it's almost like they are saying, implying that ignorance is humility. And we ain't got time for that. Now, another thing, besides systems making things more efficient, I think more than anything, they aid to our memory. And I think everybody's getting to this age where you're starting to forget things a little more. And 
it's, it's not just age. It's uh, environmental things that it's food. It's different things that we're exposed to that affect our memory. So to take advantage of something that will help our memory and to be trained in that. And the more we do it, I just quoted some of the verses there in Hebrews chapter 10 on the church announcements. And I didn't quote verse 25 on purpose because I think everybody knew what verse 25 is about forsake not the assembly. But those things that were listed were things that are done in the assembly to train our minds and to build each other up. And this is just one thing about taking advantage of the system. I don't know. I've said this many times about how my brain works. And maybe you guys are just like think I'm nuts. But the way that my brain is uh, OCD, for lack of a better term, I got to have things in order because it helps me. To me, prosperity is is order. <laughs> That's the first. Because if you don't have order, you're going to go crazy. You can be a millionaire, and I know some millionaires do go crazy because of the rat race that they're in. I want to have peace, calm, clear thought, and order. That's why I'm all about. But in this thing of systematic theology, me and Becca we were talking a week or so ago about how that, and I brought this up in my message about faith last week, of these truths that are just basically gospel truths. You can take the gospel and you can break it down and, and show it in systematic theology. I know that's just evil, isn't it? There's a system of a list. Don't have a list. It's just like some preachers say, don't use notes. They're not inspired. Just count on the Spirit and get up there and talk. If you count on notes, that's related to this whole subject. That's like not having a confession of faith. If you have notes, you're leaning on the arm of the flesh, and that's too intellectual to use notes. Usually go to those congregations. Those people are dumber than rocks you know, because there's not an efficiency in the teaching. So these things, as I had mentioned to Becky and in my message, these things that I have learned that have not been taken away, remember we talked about in Hebrews, those things that will be removed and end are the things that can be seen. But the things that can't be seen, they're going to remain. These things have to do with faith, spirituality, they're eternal, they're invisible. And these are the things that I'm talking about that we put together in our system. Your system might be different than mine. But all this stuff that we learn, it's mobile. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. When I'm talking about a system, that doesn't mean that it's against Christ. Your system better surround Christ, and Christ better be the central focus of your system, or else you're wasting your time. But I told her that without what I have learned, I would be a totally different person because the things that I've learned about God in his word and the application of that in my life since I've learned about the way I can think now God's sovereign, I don't have to control my world because God controls it, peace with God, all these things is because I carry that around with me and, and I'm not forgetting it. You know, I eventually might forget some details about some things on the, on the outskirts. But the more that you hammer this down and go over it and are trained in it and bring another piece in, bring another piece in, and you get all these pieces, and as you're bringing them in, you make adjustments, and you and it's more fluid and more efficient in the way you see it all and how that it harmonizes with all the scriptures. That's growth. 
And don't let anybody tell you that God's philosophy and God's logic and all these things are bad and start to promote ignorance because I've seen, I've, I've gone to churches and I've come back 20 years later and talked to the same people. There's no growth. And, and I feel sorry for them. And it's partially their fault and it's partially the pastor's fault. But did you ever hear people, first of all, that don't believe the gospel and they just, they talk about just religion. And religion is a popular topic. And you'll just sit back and you'll think, okay, I'm just going to listen to this. And they'll say things like we had said before. They think they have all the answers, but they don't even know the right questions. And they'll talk about things, they'll run down rabbit trails, everything will be out of order. They'll use wife tales, grandma told me this, Catholic Church tells me that, and just everything will just be all, just be like a tornado. And you'll walk away from that and think, I'm wondering what they thought they got out of that. I mean, I know it didn't make any sense. Nobody gained anything because we saw humanism. So if God directs you to, what if somebody in that group says, hey, I got a question for you. The readiness, if you have all your stuff together in a system, even if your system is not like my system or each other's system, at least you're going to have an idea of, number one, what should be my priority? The glory of God in Christ. That might be the title of your system. As you enter into when they ask you a question, you're not going to talk about aliens. You're not going to talk about babies dying in infancy. You're not going to be talking about whether or not dinosaurs existed. You know, stuff that's a distraction. You're going to really impose your system on them, and they don't know you're doing that. You're attempting to bring them to an understanding. Hopefully the Spirit will grant them an understanding. You need to know what to prioritize when you're talking to people. And, and that really happens in a system. Everything we do, whether we know it or not, is in a system. And really where you see where you're messing up on something, it's because of a lack of a system or a perverted system. So this, this thing about definitions, for example, we're going to go over definitions. I've heard some preachers, I, I've heard the statement by a sovereign grace preacher. He said, when you define it, you kill it. Okay, what? That's, that's terrible. When you define it, you kill it. Tied to that is, it's not my job to explain. It's my job to proclaim. Now, defining and explaining are very much related, are they not? It, it, the more you explain, the more you're defining. You're clarifying. You're qualifying. You're defining. You're giving synonyms. You go as far as give antonyms. You're saying what it is and what it's not. And depending on how much that person needs to know, wants to know, and how much time you have, and how much you see that they're receiving, you're gonna go you're gonna go further than that. You're just not gonna use the term grace, because Catholics say they believe in grace, Jehovah's Witnesses say they believe in grace, Mormons say they believe in grace, Seven day Adventists believe in grace. That's what they say. So we define things. We qualify, we clarify, we explain. And we have had to have been taught first to be able to do that. And this thing is generational. It's reciprocal. It's we edify one another. So that's our job. We've got kids. We've got grandkids. We've got friends. We've got neighbors. We've got coworkers. And knowing that this whole body of truth that has affected me in the way it was 
to not want to give that to somebody else and to know if that if they don't get it they're going to perish and not to use the sovereignty of God as an excuse say well you know they're, if they're elected if I don't give it to them somebody else is going to give it to them I think the safer attitude is if not you who and if not now when as if you're the only person in the world and God's word it will never fail it'll go out to do one or two purposes so can't fail so I just want to just go over the idea of just the fact that we have systems. At home, if you lose something, it's probably because your system failed. Calvin, is, have you seen my phone? Have you seen my wallet? Have you seen my keys? He knows what I'm going to say. Do you have a staging area? Theologically and biblically, we should have one in our head. It's not bad to take notes. I see some of you taking notes sometimes. It's not bad to... To have like a theological, doctrinal, devotional journal for our memories. It's not bad to write in your Bibles when you find a verse that says something about faith as a gift in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Hey, Philippians chapter 1 says it over here too. And you kind of tie those two together. Electronically, uh, you can save all, the, all kind of time with Bible programs electronically. Some of you use them. One Sovereign Grace preacher said, I told him about E-Sword and told him about the electronic Strong's Concordance and how did it so much quicker? He said, I don't know. There's something about holding that Strong's Concordance in, in my hand and paging through and looking up each one of them. And I thought what that translated to me was there's just something about spending 10 times as long trying to find something when you could study 10 times faster. I could go on and on and on. But let's build a biblical efficient system and this is part of the means to do that. You study on your own, take your own notes, run everything through a filter. You're told to test the spirits, beware of false prophets, do all these things. This is your responsibility. Be like the Bereans. And the Bereans had a system. You know, a system is nothing but barriers and walls and rules that are biblical. Roads have lines, right? Have you ever been down a road that didn't have a line and it's dark and it's raining? It's hard to see. But when you get on the ones that have lines and reflectors, you can efficiently cruise down through there. But no lines in the dark, you're going to wreck. In your mind, without a system, you're going to wreck. Somebody, especially somebody's encouraging you against systems, against logic. Take off your thinking cap when you come into church. You're going to wreck. You're going to wreck one of two ways. You're going to wreck either going off in your own mind, off by yourself, or this guy is setting up a cult and everything he says goes. Just follow him blindly. Pastor so-and-so said I'm supposed to take my thinking cap off, so everything he tells me, I don't think about. I just believe what he says. Dangerous. <laughs> Well, it's just like the light and darkness. You know, if you're in the dark, I remember when we met at the bank one time, I don't know if everybody remembers this, I remember when the lights went out. And I, I remember that's the darkest I had ever remembered in my life when you couldn't see your hand. And if you remember where you were when the lights went out, you can remember what it was when it was light. So you can kind of know what direction to go into. You can use your other senses, you can hear sounds. Of course, you can touch things to find a way. But this is the same way. When you open God's word, there has to be some type of starting point, some type of a guidance. And then there's borders. When you read in scripture, 
There's warnings in Scripture. Those are borders. Those are lines. Those are barriers. When something says, this is what it is, this is what it's not. When it says what it's not, you don't go there. It's a warning. So these are parts of systems. No matter how small you think they look, they're in place. Routines. Here's an example. If you don't have a routine in the morning, I do. Some people are fortunate enough to be retired and they have routines. Have to, right? Everybody has that. They have some type of a, some type of an order, some type of borders and boundaries. And the scripture is full of them, chock full of them, all over the place, doctrinally and practically. They're just there. They're all over the place. And it's just like, uh, just one more example, and I'll quit. On this topic, when you start to look for it in scripture. Debbie, do you remember what your first car was? What? Tell me. Unless you're embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) It was a Mustang II. Okay. Now, I don't know whether or not before you got that, like there was like a time span where you knew that's the one you were going to get. Maybe say it was a week. I've done this before. I saw it, thinking about it, talking to my dad about somehow getting the money up or the bank or whatever. And wherever you go... You start seeing Mustang 2s all over the place. You know, I, I've done the same thing with a bunch of different cars. It, I don't care. You, you start seeing it with, say, you're looking for a certain animal or pet. And you start seeing them all over the place or hearing about them. A certain type of clothing. Hey, that, that girl in the store, that's what that kind of uh, dress I was wanting to wear. Not me, one of you women. <laughs> but that's the way things work in our brains. Right about talking about words, definition of grace, for example. That word is thrown around more than you would talking about. When people see it, what do they think of? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I see grace, and I think, you know, I, I think, first of all, it's the exact opposite of words. Yeah. You know, and, and works is, is anything we do to make favor with God, so therefore it's just the opposite. Yeah. Law or some kind of lower law right, or condition. Right. Yeah, some like blind spots in there. They don't even realize what they're saying. One more thing. Here's here's another example I thought of. Some Facebook friend of mine, who hadn't been friends long, he posted something in, um, I think, the Doctrines of Grace group. And he said, Lagos. I want to say something about Lagos today. Since Lagos means beginnings. Hold on a minute. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> It means it means word. It means any anything a synonym has to do with communication is what it means. And he took that and he went with built something else onto it and went out way on a limb. And he what he eventually said was Christ was reincarnated. I did I know that he didn't mean reincarnation like the Eastern spiritualists talk about. But I said, first of all, and I was nice as I could be, Logos doesn't mean beginnings. It means word. And I copied and pasted all the Strong's definitions and put it there for him with the reference number and everything. And I said, the biblical doctrine of Christ becoming flesh is called the incarnation, not the reincarnation. Because if you take that literally, I mean, he didn't recycle himself in different persons. Live and die, live and die, live and die. And um, 
he didn't respond at all. So he was probably embarrassed, but I did it. There was, I did it in the nicest way possible. But when you get wrong, death, see, if you, the one guy said, if you define it, you killed it. If, if I didn't jump in there and define it, somebody else would have been killed. You know, they would have been led into death. I think in all kind of way far out stuff. People do that. They'll say things and go out on a limb and people are like scratching their head. I don't know about this. I don't know if it takes, could be depend on how you're raised and how your parents dealt with you or a teacher dealt with you or your boss deals with you on tact, dealing with people with patience and sincerity and showing them that, look, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to make you look stupid. Yeah, he did. Oh, on that part of it? No, he used the phrase reincarnation. And, and some of the language in there, you could tell, was kind of like different than incarnation. Yeah. Here lately, talking to these guys, really taking the time and patience to show them, look, I'm, try, I'm wanting to help you. And sometimes when you do this with people, take them off the side. Because I sometimes send a, an instant message instead of saying something in front of a group. And people appreciate that. You know, they think, this guy's not out to get me. You know, and, and we know we're going to be persecuted, Scripture says. But some of these people could be people that are actually believers. But you'll gain a hearing and gain respect, even if they disagree with you vehemently on certain things and maybe side issues. They'll never forget the way you treated them. I remember when I was in the hospital one time, some guy that I never expected to come visit me came to visit me. And I thought, man, this guy, I'll never forget this guy because he came and visited me in the hospital. He thought that much, you know, to do that. So it's the same way with communicate with people. Just And that's what you're supposed to do. Scripture, say, <laughs> scripture tells us to act that way because that's the way we would want people to treat us. Those things, I mean, we could make a list of all the things like absolute truth, logic, right? And then over here we could show the polar opposite of it. I mean, there's people that don't know how to read. Uh, some people have reading disabilities. I used to work with a guy that couldn't read. Every time after meetings and stuff, he had paperwork, and he'd say, hey, can you, can you help me out here? And I'd go through it with him and, and you know, try to tell him what to sign and whatever. And um, can you imagine what those people think about that? I mean, it's hard to think about because you already know how to read. Think about what those people out there are missing. When they are looking at signs, you know, I mean, all the stuff, all the stuff that's in print, they're just like, they're missing out. If you don't know numbers, think about how much money you're losing. People ripping you off over the years. All right, that's, that's just the introduction. The next time it'll be one word. It'll be isolated.